Tuesday Night Talk is a part of Real Sound Reviews YouTube channel where I make tutorial, reviews and many incredible things to help you in sound creation. You can support by donation on patreon.com zdv and indeed subscribe to never miss a single episode. Driving with my friend Pauline Oh, this can't stop me falling down Down, down I don't know where I'm going but I'm Hello everyone, Tuesday Night Talk I'm very glad to receive Michael Wookie Hi Michael Hi, how are you? Fine uh, so we're going to talk about your next album, True Love D-Day, that's, uh, that's a title, but uh, maybe before talking about sound and uh, this album, uh, for the people who don't know you, could you uh, give us some words about the style of music you are doing? I know this is, uh, in general, a tough question to start. For, well, first of all, the album it's called True Love Dollar Day. So it's like a dollar sign. Mm -hmm. And I think um, something that I think that I think about like with uh, websites and stuff is that the dollar sign is not always an accepted uh, logo in titles. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a concern and you've just just raised it because you called it True Love D Day because I think the dollar sign may be replaced with a D sometimes. I'm okay with that, I guess. Uh, the style, I don't know. Like it's it. You're right. It's um, the the million dollar question, isn't it? It's a hard one. It's it's one that makes musicians panic. Very much a songwriter. It's it's usually these three minutes, um, three four minutes. I feel like I've said everything I need to say, but then within that time, I guess it's like has choruses and stuff so I guess it's pop it, I guess it's indie um, it has some it's often quite homemade it, it's uh, with these elements of um, you know using like special disintegrated instruments and things so I don't know maybe like pop music found in a fire or something or something but <laughs> um, you know and, and, I like, in terms of artists, to kind of explain it, maybe, um, I mean, less now than like 10 years ago, but I, I, I still really love Tom Waits, um, and I think 10 years ago it was more like taking this element of smashing chains on a floor and singing with a slightly more broken voice, and now the thing that I maybe take from Tom Waits is, is more the recording style. So hearing the room, hearing the environment um, and then, you know, something like Sparkle Horse um, in using these like disintegrated, um, you know, these are old, I think he called it 
squeaky old organs. Uh, I'm still using these, you know, things that should have been thrown in the trash a long time ago, but one man's trash is another man's treasure, I guess. Um, and then, you know, I always forget to, to name, like, the classics, and I think it's really important. I still listen to the Beatles all the time, and I still... I listen to Radiohead a lot, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that. And it's almost like a, a dirty word, like for a filmmaker to say you're influenced by David Lynch. Sure, there is no reason to deny. And Tom Waits and Sparkle Arts comes to mind very quickly, but in your own way, and uh, like you digest this very deeply. And uh, the last album uh, appeared to me to be maybe a little more serene but really great and with a, a touch of irony like on the songs like uh, show me what you got and there is a there is a the darkness is, is still there but its place as as change it's uh, it's really a great album oh thank you very much yeah it's a bit more a bit more fun um, cuz you know i feel okay now <laughs> I <laughs> I have less um I don't know like you say the darkness is still there but it it has a different place <laughs> it's been it's been digested it's been um it's been spat out in a different way but it was also made in a different way like I decided um for the first time to to take a producer this time someone who I trust very deeply, a friend from, we met when I was maybe 15. Um, he's a very, very good friend and he still makes music, he still makes music himself. Um, Peter Lyons, an English guy. And yeah, we made, we began the album making it uh, in his studio together, which is just a very small one room studio. And we finished the album some at distance, um, but because I trust him so much, you know, it, I found myself saying yes more than no, which happens if you choose your team correctly, I guess. So um, he made uh, the mix um, almost on his own, or um, and you you were working remotely. What I find striking in the production is, for example, the drum. Uh, doesn't have much room uh, and uh, sounds a little dry. Like the, on Get Gone, the, uh, it's almost like it is a tree pop bit, but played. If I, if I'm tell me if I'm wrong, and uh, that kind of production is uh, quite original right now. So uh, who uh, came to that choice? He, he was um, was him who um, suggested to. to to, to choose yeah, it, was, it was both of us it was interesting because I just mentioned recording in his studio which was a very small room it's um, a shipping mm -hmm. con a shipping container so just a long metal room but treated so you know there was no reverb and we record we recorded these drums he, he he's a very good drummer you mean uh, you think I need a professional drummer like I'm not good enough and so very dry in the sound and then there was the question of should we add 
some kind of very special reverb to this, like uh, you know, spring reverb or something, um, or make it sound like it was in a room. And we, in the end, we just we, you know, we we loved this very very dry, dry sound. I mean, then then you know, you have to really work with the EQ and the compression to make it very even uh -huh. and stuff. But it's, I just like it's. You never really hear drums like here, you know. It's, uh, uh -huh. except maybe in some, uh, I want to say, you know, for me, like the ultimate, like dry drumming, like very, like seventies drumming that you have on like some, you know, the kind of Gansbord drum sound and, and then later Beck, like borrowed by Beck this, uh, on the album Sea Change, especially very dry, but still you can hear that it has room to breathe in, in a, in a bigger space, even if it's recorded with one, like very close microphones, it still has a. Um, yeah, I think it's still in a in a reasonable sized room. Whereas this room that we recorded was maybe two meters wide, so it was very, <laughs> very special. Yeah. Here that there are overheads. It sounds logical not to try to find some artificial reverb, like because it should be recording it. And uh, and the album in itself sounds uh, with a lot of hair, and uh, he made also the mastering. No, the mastering was uh, Valgir Sigurdsson in in Iceland. But you know, interesting thing about the mastering, I sent it to Valgir, and he sent it back, and it wasn't so different. When I sent like previous albums to him, very striking difference between the mix and the master. But this one just like removed, just kind of tamed the top end a little bit. Um, barely even touched the bass. And, and really not so much work in EQ and very little work in like stereo image. And he said, you know, he said it sounded kind of analog enough to him. The mix was very strong. So this is to me like, a, you know, says a good says good things about Pete, the mix of Peter Lyons it's, which was so solid and how do you know him you you have been uh, for a time you've been living into Iceland uh yes with the uh, wasn't living in Iceland but I I was um in a relationship with someone from uh the hidden tracks <laughs> and we we spent uh we spent six years like we were going back and forth to Iceland all the time and I I mixed a documentary for him um, about his label and, and originally it was like in exchange for the mix he did a master for me and now I just I just love his work so yeah you know it's just so important especially with a master it's such a technical job it's so important to trust the the person you're working with uh, you don't want uh, several months or maybe sometimes several several years to be destroyed by um, someone at the end of a sound chain, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Through the years, uh, what I found to be very striking uh, in your sound in general is maybe a more, most striking thing, uh, two things, the use of toys, of sound toys, and keyboards. So uh, I have several questions about that. Um, 
regarding your experience, do the um, the toys uh, require a special way of recording them, or uh, is it kind of casual? Okay. Well, the toys. <laughs> it started. I. I. Um, I guess when I was maybe twenty years old, I bought a keyboard on eBay. It's called an SK1. Beautiful. 80s sampling toy and I, I bought like it's called a circuit bent version so it's like a modified version of this keyboard and um, I ordered it and I waited for three weeks and it didn't come and I already had a, a non-modified uh, SK1 which I was using so because I was so impatient I uh, <laughs> I I modified it myself, and, um, and that's really what started this like toy obsession, <laughs> like with the electronic toys. So if I'm recording like um, a Casio, for example, sometimes I can use the uh, the headphone output or the jack output, and it it has a special sound. But the best for me is really using the speaker. So you have. Sometimes you have the sound of the keys and you have this, you know, speaker is wonderful because it just makes everything compact. And um, so that's how I, yeah, usually with the speaker for anything. And then I find it just takes less space in the mix and it depends. Like if, I, if I'm using a toy to make like the bass, then I'll use like a DI box, um, which often requires some modification. But uh, if I'm just using it for like a, you know, small keyboard part. It's actually really nice to have the speaker. And then the the acoustic stuff, I record those with all the care that I would, you know, drums or whatever. It's like, even if it's a toy piano, I'll, I'll still take the time to do it in stereo and really, uh, so many harmonics on a toy piano. It's like a harp, actually. You really have to think about, you have to think about all these things, you know. And uh, it's, um... What kind of microphone are you using when, for example, you record speakers? Speakers I would use... Usually I would just use a static microphone like a condenser. Um, so I use, you know, a Neumann. Um, my go-to microphone is a U87, the, the, the classic. It, it changed my life because it was just... Everything... Everything became easier. It was like, even if... With like maybe a lesser microphone, I was using a Rode before, like the cheap, cheaper but but decent uh, Australian microphone. With the Rode, I found it was more important to have. Let's the voice is a different thing, but let's talk about, for example, the cello. With the Rode, I had to be very careful. So the cello, and I had to be like, okay, so not too near the hole, and like really the angle was right. And then with the U87. I received it and a week later I recorded a string quartet and I just found just basically anywhere near the cello and it sounded wonderful. <laughs> so it was, uh, it just has a very, I don't know it, I don't know if it's a neutral sound, it has a really nice medium, but it's, it's, it's a microphone that I really like. Um, but then for recording something like a toy piano to, uh, uh, attenuate, tame, I guess the, uh, 
the highs, I would I would often use a ribbon microphone or a pair of ribbon microphones. Okay, very very interesting. Very uh, very interesting. You seem to have a special relationship with keyboards. Uh, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, but can you uh, talk to us about this? It's uh, because uh, well, I I was wondering also when you write a song, uh, do you start w with keyboards or guitars? Oh, it de it depends. I mean, I. First of all, there's no for writing a song. There's no for me. There's no formula. It can be, can be just voice sometimes, and sometimes guitar, sometimes keyboards. But I don't know. I love these keyboards. All these keyboards I have because <laughs> that they, they just fall into my hands over the years. I'm very easy to buy gifts for. You know, <laughs> at like Christmas, I there's always someone who's like, oh, I found this wild uh, keyboard for you at like a you know, uh, like in the trash somewhere or on the street in Paris. And, um, they just all have a very, they all sound very different. I mean, at one time I owned three pianos, upright pianos, and they were, even, even though it's the same instrument three times, like one of them was a Steinway, a very beautiful sounding piano. One of them was a piano from a boat, so it had this, slightly out of tune, beautiful sound. And then one of them was a Shallon. It was the piano that they used for, um, uh, it was the, the piano they used for Hey Jude and th those in the video of Hey Jude, there's, but it has like a special, um, you press a, a pedal and like a thing comes down between the keys and the, um, between the hammers and the strings. And it's like a kind of, material with like metal on the end these little like curtains and it would sound almost like a clavecin like a harpsichord or something it's, it's just you know e so even with pianos <laughs> they sound they sound so different and without even talking about the difference between a piano and a and a mellotron for example or cuz i'm using a lot of old um I lucky that I own a real Mellotron, which is an incredibly inspiring instrument. And also um, an Optigan, which is using... It's a sampler, it uses uh, film discs. And everything just sounds like Disney when you play this. It sounds really scratchy, like a vinyl, and just, you know, very, very inspiring instrument. Uh, so we understand through this conversation that you are also sound engineer and uh, you made production for a lot of people uh, in different also in uh, for a documentary and uh, Why did you feel the need this time to work with someone? Uh, well first I yes, I am a sound engineer, but not I never said I was a good one <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, I just from producing other people, sometimes I have the luxury of uh, just just producing, and so having someone do the engineering for me, and I realized okay. I really like that. So I could, with Peter Lyons, I, it's someone I trust so much, he's a very good engineer and a very good producer, very open. So it was nice to have him take care of the technical side. But I don't want to say that that was all I wanted from him, and that's not everything he gave me. He was very, 
very creative, very open to ideas. Uh, you know, bringing bringing new ideas to to the songs, um, and he just I, I feel like especially with recording vocals, he made me feel very confident. Um, it was special this album. There was there were at least a few songs where I had never sung the song before arriving in the studio. It was just something that existed, kind of vaguely, like I would sing it to myself, you know, but I deliberately arrived in the studio with this idea of, um, yeah, having some, like singing the song for the first time. So it's very spontaneous and you, you I wanted it to be like a diary, you know, so you hear how I felt that day. <laughs> and Peter was very like, just ready. He was like, okay, the microphone's there and He's, he's got this wonderful English way about him, like, uh, you know, if he's not happy with it, he won't say, I'm not happy, he'll say, are you happy with that? <laughs> do, you, do you think you can do better? And I'm like, okay, maybe. <laughs> and it's I love his music and I love his voice. And so there was an element of wanting to um, impress him, you know? But um, some sort of um, British pragmatism. Let's do it again. Let's um, mm -hmm. something like that. Okay, there is uh, some sort of uh, final question that I call the magic question. Could you tell us what are your first memories linked to music in your recollection when you were a child? Or actually, I do have a story which sounds fake. So my main the first time we heard music, we didn't really have music in the house, but we had music in the car. And my dad was a big fan of this old radio station. Um, and they played like songs from the 60s. The songs that I grew up with, because my father had older sisters, they were fans of things that copied the Beatles. So things like The Searchers and Herman's Hermits and and to an extent, the Bee Gees and stuff, and which didn't copy the Beatles, but yes. So he wanted to listen to this kind of music in, in the car, and um, I hated it for a long time, and I, <laughs> I built, uh, <laughs> and this is a true story, and it sounds, I realize this sounds... Uh, okay, it's okay. It's true. <laughs> I built a radio broadcasting box which would broadcast with batteries a few meters so I could talk into my box and it would come through the radio and I realized that I could use it in the car to block his radio station <laughs> we'd be listening to this music and then it would be I turn it on and it would be like, and be like oh, I don't, you know and of course he knew it was coming from me but I think he was maybe impressed by this 11 year old who built <laughs> who built this circuit and <laughs> So, um, yeah, but now the sa I'd love to find that box again. Maybe it exists in my parents' uh, house or something. But I, I think the sound of this like interference on the radio is something that I really love in music. So. Also the songs. I mean, I, now I listen to The Searchers and I saw them live actually. And I, you know, of course the Bee Gees is still a classic that I still, still very much listen to. Um, Yes, that's one of my earliest memories. 
So you you uh, you have been tweaking electronics for a very long time. That's uh, this is a very beautiful story. That's a very beautiful story. Yeah. Okay, uh, Michael. Really, thank you very much. Uh, uh, so when um, your album uh, is going to be released, it's... I think, well, later this year, I think October. That's the, um, that's the plan. Yes. Great. Um, everyone, thank you for watching, as always. And we will see you on this channel very soon. What are you trying to tell me? I need a drum. I, I could use a drummer. I'm not uh, the drumming on my record sucks. Or what are you saying? Ah, uh, forget it, man. Forget it. <laughs>